Wild Common Podcast. This podcast is funded and supported by Wild Common, an additive-free agave spirits company bringing you some of the finest tequila and mezcal on earth. Our goal is to help give transparency to the consumer, provide a cleaner spirit, and support sustainable methods of production with the families that we work with in Mexico. Our product is available soon. In late 2020, we will keep you posted. Salud. Welcome to episode 15 of the Wild Common Podcast. This is your host, Andy Barden, founder of Wild Common Agave Spirits, and we're finding our rhythm here 15 episodes in. Loving it. Today's guest is Marcus Smith, professional photographer and director. He's shot for brands like Adidas, Apple, Asics, Bose, Coca-Cola, Nike, Reebok. Marcus has vision. This guy just has an inherent sense of style. We met back in 2008, and while he'd studied economics at the University of Illinois, he would spend nights and weekends shooting photos, retouching, working in Photoshop, really dialing in his skill set. His passion for creating iconic images was apparent, and he's gone on to do just that over the last decade. We've had countless conversations over the years about creativity, hard work, fear, commercial bids, negotiating, you name it. What always starts out as like a quick, hey, you know, like let's have a 10 minute phone call always ends up being well over an hour. And I wanted to share some of his wisdom on this podcast with you. Marcus carries himself with a quiet confidence. It's rooted in humility, hard work and discipline. We dive into all these topics and more on this episode and be sure to check out his Instagram feed, Marcus.chi or his website, which is MarcusSmithPhoto.com. Enjoy. All right, Marcus Smith, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate you for having me. Yeah. Um, how you doing today? Where are you? Um, I'm in Chicago. I'm on my back porch. It's like super hot right now. Um, I'm just trying to like, this is kind of like my spot uh, to kind of just break up even just the monotony of being home all the time. Like I kind of like, you know, hover between the living room and the back porch and just you know, kind of wandering around the yard um, and kind of just breaking up the day like that and jumping in, jumping on and off the phone and Zoom calls and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's where I am now. It's just sitting on the back porch. I noticed you've like, you've always been really intentional with your style from, you know, clothing choices. And now that you're a homeowner into the design of your personal spaces, interior and exterior. And I saw you put some time into like um you know designing that out, outdoor space so it was really sort of a, a peaceful place for you to go chill and you've referenced before in the past too that you said you know something along the lines if you weren't a photographer that you think you'd have fun being an interior designer where do you think that like inherent design sense comes from um you know what i don't really know uh honestly because my mom said when i was like three two or three that like I started um, at that point, even uh, being concerned about what I wore. Like I started picking my own clothes out and started making my own sort of uh, choices when it came to that. And I was very adamant about it. Um, like it had, it couldn't just be a pair of pants. It had to be these specific pair of pants and it had to be this specific material I went through phases as a kid where I wouldn't wear jeans and I would only wear basketball shorts. So like, I don't know. I think it was just, 
that is just one of those things where it just comes naturally to me. And it's just a part of my personality. Like, um, when I was a kid, I also like just enjoyed drawing and coloring and like making like creative choices in some type of way. Um, and that's just kind of progressed over time as I've become older into other forms of like stuff, you know, whether it be like you already mentioned the house or my clothes or furniture or whatever, you know, those are the kind of things that I'm just naturally drawn to. And, and I don't mean to say that there's like, you know, just a curated aesthetic. I, I think what I notice at least is that you seem to draw on elements of creativity uh, from different areas, and then you inject them, you remix them into your own execution, whether it's cooking, landscape design, photography. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that, how you like are drawing inspiration from all these different inputs and then sort of spitting them out as your own thing in a different way, maybe behind the camera or however it comes out? Uh, yeah, I think that, I think that like, I don't know, I think life uh, basically just unfolds uh, as it, in a way where it turns into art. Art is life and, you know, life is art and how you want to express yourself comes out in all those different ways. Um, so like for me with how I do photography um, and the things, the people that I choose to focus on, uh, I mean, as, as especially in the beginning, it started out being just, uh, people that were connected to stuff, other things that I was interested in, whether that was, you know, basketball or music, um, you know, or now it gets to be, it's kind of expanded to being other people. Uh, but usually I still have some type of connection to like what it is that they do. And I'm usually excited to meet them because of that. And so um, all the other things that I sort of participate in, whether it be cooking or uh, watching movies or interior design uh, type stuff, they all kind of funnel back into the same sort of like thing where I feel like I'm just naturally uh, participating in life and just finding ways, different ways to sort of express myself. And I noticed kind of early on in your career, I guess it was specifically as you started documenting high school basketball teams, your your style changed and you started to document what you're saying, just like regular moments in life. Um, and a lot of that was lit just with natural light. Um, was, that mm -hmm. was that intentional or did you start to notice that the details and the like, quote, mundane details of everyday life ended up being different layers when you put it together with different images? Oh, I think it was, it was definitely intentional, mainly because I didn't have any money, <laughs> you know, like I didn't have any money or any, uh, access to anything besides just like the, the camera that I, uh, that I own. And so, you know, that choice was made for me in a way. Um, but also, uh, I think that anything that I was doing prior to that, was all a discovery process. Like I just hadn't worked enough or put enough time into um, having explored how to make it work in other ways besides like using flash or uh, lighting things a particular kind of way. Um, and I think that that time in, uh, that I spent maybe doing that kind of gave me enough confidence that 
uh, if I pay enough attention to the mundane things, like you said, then I can make those things feel special and cool without the use of like some type of like trick, you know, that's overcomplicating it on the technical side. Like, you know, I just was able to learn, uh, that there are other ways to make a photo interesting. And I think that that helped me like later on too. And that foundation, I, I want to go back a little bit. You grew up in Chicago. You went to the university of Illinois studying economics, but as you're studying economics, it sounded like in the background, you were shooting photographs and you were almost like, it was almost like your little love affair that you were like cheating on what you were actually studying where like your heart and your passion mm -hmm. were going into these like nights and weekends projects shooting um, CD covers for friends or you were designing stuff in Photoshop. And, and early on what I'm hearing you say is like, because there were some creative constraints on gear that was accessible to you, um, you were able to flex that a little bit more creatively. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and in college, I mean, in college, I definitely, I mean, the way that it worked is that in college, I had like a little space that I would shoot in and shoot friends and stuff and play around with a little bit of lighting uh, that I had at the time. Um, and then, you know, as we went, we went to school together. Uh, we had sort of like, you know, access to all this other stuff uh, that we got to explore Um and then all of a sudden we moved, we graduated, moved back home and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I don't have uh, access to gear and equipment or a medium format camera anymore. All I have is a Canon 5D and, you know, open space to be like, all right, what do I, what do I do now? <laughs> rooted though, I think like rooted with a tireless work ethic, you know, and even recently you, you mentioned something that quote, I don't, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but there's only one get rich quick at all scheme and it's an invest time and energy. Mm -hmm. It takes to get good at whatever you do, be disciplined, be maniacal about the details and work hard as hell. You know, you're, you're now graduated from school. You've got student debt, yet you're still pursuing this passion that that's paying you nothing, presumably, which is photography. Can you talk about where that tireless work ethic comes from? Yeah, it came from it came from my mom instilling early in me the idea that, um, you know, she always she my mom have a has a bunch of sayings that, are like a lot of other people's parents that she probably used to say to them like all the time and, you know, didn't think that I was listening when she said it. I probably wasn't, at least some of the time, you know, um, but she would say if I got in trouble, whether it was me in trouble or whether it was me, her praising me, or whether it was, like, her trying to teach me a lesson, it didn't matter. She always came back to, like, sort of the same core, like, things. And one of them was that you can have anything in the world that you want as long as you plan and prepare for it. Um, and then another one that she used to say to me all the time was, uh, take pride in every small little thing that you do. Um, and she meant that, uh, but in, in the way she meant it by trying to say like no small task is, uh, is too small for you to feel proud about doing it. You know, you're, you're, you're supposed to, if you're the guy, if you're a janitor at a school or whatever, 
then you're cleaning the toilets. You should take pride in how you clean those toilets and you should take pride in how you mop the floors. And so that was something that I did when I was uh, coming into the photo uh, business and I worked for somebody else. Uh, even when I was, I took pride in even the small contribution that I might've made, uh, like painting the psych wall or whatever, um, all the way up to actually like communicating with a client and, um, you know, retouching, leading a retouching project or something. Um, but I think it was that quality that sort of like uh, helped me along the way with people being willing to give me uh, a little bit of help or a little bit of advice or whatever it was that they did. They saw that and they saw that work ethic and, you know, uh, were willing to have like a put a little bit of extra time into like their interactions with me. And I, I mean, I, I've heard you say other things that she said, and I can just rattle a, hand, a handful of them off. I, you know, yeah. I remember you always used to say she told you that there was a difference between being smart and being intelligent. Uh huh. And how that was another one she used to say a lot. Yeah. How how has that served you in your lifetime? Uh, it's definitely served me as far as like because she would explain it as like being smart it's like having the information and being intelligent is like knowing what to do with the information so for me like i'm always investigating um things and i'm always trying to comprehend and understand things from like a 360 degree uh viewpoint so like i'm never just like being given information you know and then taking it for what that is, I'm always getting information. And I'm not even talking about just like on a political level or anything like that. Um, Cause I know it could be taken that way, but it's more so in just like, even in how somebody shows me how to do something, I'm taking it and trying to figure out, okay, how can this be applied in a sort of like realistic kind of way? How can I take what I just learned here and apply it to my business or apply it to how I'm going to live my life or apply it to the decisions that I'm going to choose to make, um, you know, from now that I know, you know, have a better understanding of something, you know, and I think that's what she was trying to get across to me. It's like, you know, critical thinking. And I've, I've seen that critical thinking in you, even early on when I met you, I noticed that you were astutely aware of sort of like the details and I'd watch you wrap your head around something and then once you understood it, um, you became confident. And I think some people confuse confidence versus arrogance, but I think that she instilled uh -huh. some form of confidence in you early on um, that's rooted in preparation. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, 100%. That was another one of the, I, ironically, that was like another thing that she used to talk about a lot too. It's like, the difference between being confident and arrogant. I used to get that speech all the time, you know, um, because she would always try to keep me grounded in the idea that no matter how smart or intelligent I thought I was, that there was always more work to do. And there was always people that were smarter or more intelligent than me. And, um, always trying to instill the idea in me also that, uh, you, you you are here to help other people as well and be of service. You know, um, you're not better than anybody. Those were all the things that I used to uh, kind of get pushed that pushed into me as well. So, yeah. 
And you, I mean, you, you talk about, um, you worked with somebody, uh, that was Gary land and you moved to Boston, mm -hmm. uh, to work as his lead retoucher and one of his assistants. Um, that gave you sort of the skill set that you now deploy for big brands like Nike, Adidas. Uh, are are you now returning that favor and taking anybody under your wing as like a you're, you're taking the mentor role now, or do you think you do that in little micro moments by uh, you know taking phone calls, putting out podcasts, and teaching in your own way? Or yeah, I think it's definitely more so like that um, because I think that like photography has changed in a way from the way that it was when even Gary uh, got himself, you know, to a particular place. I, I don't think that I'm, um, maybe I'll get there one day, excuse me, but I'm not there yet, which is like having like a full blown studio and like, you know, a team, a full team, a full time team of, you know, four or five people or whatever, you know, I just, I haven't gotten to that place where um, that's the kind of uh, situation that I have. And I think that that kind of situation naturally opens the door for you to like have a spot available for uh, maybe a younger person that you can then kind of build up in the way that I was. Um, so because I don't have that just yet, I do spend uh, a nice amount of time um, taking phone calls and answering emails or answering DMs um, from people that might have questions or need advice about how to move forward or even other photographers that I maybe even that I, I more so consider peers um, that just want to, you know, have that, that may not have an agent or anything like that, but they're still booking like jobs and stuff and they ask me for advice on numbers or uh, how to approach a conversation that they might be having with a client. They might, you know, shoot me some questions like that and we have a conversation about it. So um, that's definitely more, more so in how I'm uh, kind of approaching the mentoring stage right now. Do you have, um, do you currently have any business coaches or mentors that you rely on in your life? Um, not really business coaches. I, I would say my business coach still is my mom. <laughs> and then like, as far as like photography mentors, I would say that I've gotten, um, I've built relationships with a few different, um, people that are a bit older than me that I look up to. And I've had conversations with, um, like Kwaku Austin or Joe Pugliese or, uh, even at times, Carlos Sorrell, um, and, and even Gary still, um, to a certain degree. Um, and then there's other people that I've been able to form friendships and relationships with, uh, on the art buying side or, you know, people that are creative directors and stuff like that now that I feel like I could reach out to and kind of like, not even bounce ideas off of, but just have like, uh, this is how I'm feeling about the industry conversation and, we kind of just can powwow about that together. And sometimes that even leads to a little bit more clarity about what I want to do or where I want to go. And, and those like macro level conversations, I mean, that's a zoomed out um, perspective of sort of uh, your next steps. I mean, do you know 
where you want to be in a couple years? Are you already starting to chip away at the skill sets and the stepping stones that need to get you to that place? Well, yeah, I do in a way, no. Um, I mean, so I was listening to this, uh, this podcast the other day um, about, it was, a, it was a, about the fashion industry and how basically the fashion industry basically like put itself in this position that is currently through like excess and like overproducing. Um, and one of the, uh, I forget the guy's name, but they, he was heavily interviewed in this podcast. But one of the things that he said uh, that kind of stuck with me is that he was the founder of this brand called Band of Outsiders. You can kind of look that up and see what happened with that brand, but they subsequently shut down after a run of like two years and being like one of the hottest menswear brands. Uh, but he basically said that um, they stopped, he felt like he stopped growing or he stopped uh, being making money and being profitable when they, when the company started to try to expand. And so I kind of thought about that and was like, you know, I feel that way about my business right now. Like, I don't know if it's in a place where I necessarily, because a lot of people ask me what's next. And it's always a question of what's next and what's next and what's next. And I feel like we all feel pressured to have the answer to that. And for me, I mean, I know that there are some things that I haven't done and I want to do, but I don't necessarily want my business to grow uh, as much as I want it to diversify. I just want to, I want to, I want it to be consistent. I want to be able to do what I'm doing now, 10 years from now. I don't necessarily want it to be bigger though. Um, so like what's next for me, I would like to move a little bit more into shooting uh, entertainment um, and shooting key art uh, for movies and TV shows and kind of have a little bit more diversification into the subjects that I get to cover. Um, but I think that that's what I can articulate as being next. Um, I don't know if I can necessarily like put it a different way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I see right now. And are you, are you pivoting like intentionally into other areas of creativity and business? Or are you solely still focused on work behind a camera? Yeah, for me right now, I think it's work. It's still work behind the camera. I'm also like working, getting opportunities to work a little bit more uh, with um, with motion, so directing a little bit more. And I'm kind of like tiptoeing into that, where I can see that turning into a little bit more of a thing for me. Um, but yeah, it's definitely still work behind the camera. Um, like I said, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm like so focused on that right now. I don't really want uh, to take away from that with kind of feeling like I need to focus on something else um, because I do think that it's, it's kind of like hard to do thing, multiple things at a, at a high level um, until you, you know, until you feel like you're ready to move on. And I mean, early on, you sort of switched your, your still camera, which at the time I think was a 5D Mark II, into mm -hmm. video mode. And I remember you made a couple spots just for yourself. Um, there was a track runner yeah. that you cut to Kid Kid Cuddy, and then you documented high school basketball, and you, you put out some edits yourself. 
by doing that legwork, I mean, you knew you wanted to be involved in motion and, and you took on that unpaid yeah. work to give you sort of the, the visual language as well as the understanding that you now get to deploy as a, a director. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's that, that definitely those early days of uh, kind of like hobbling together some video definitely taught me some skills um, that I'm using a little bit heavier now um in terms like it doesn't feel like it's a uh as new to me as it really is you know um having a team of people and having uh individuals that i can um ask to do certain things when it comes to like the professional side of like working on commercials now i understand it now to be a, in a in a way to be able to do those things and make those decisions uh like front facing to the public, it feels like I'm only a photographer, but, you know, I feel like I'm able to tra transition into the directing seat smoothly because of the, uh, those early experiments that I did. And can you talk just a little bit more about sort of the importance of that personal work? I mean, how you approach it, how you pre-visualize um, these personal projects that you want to take on? Often, you know, they're pretty big projects, is it like rooted in, hey, I want to get hired for X, so you then go shoot it? Or is it just sort of rooted in curiosity and interest? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both because because I think that like the one of the one of the best things um that or one of the coolest things for me is that uh a lot of the a lot of my personal interests have been able to like cross over into the things that I get hired for. So the things that I get hired for usually aren't that far off from the things that I am already kind of wanting to do for myself anyway. Um, so like a lot of times um, what I do is use a personal project as a way to showcase my skill set in a way that maybe isn't trans doesn't seem to be translating in the way that I get hired. So for me right now, um, it's a good, it's a good example. Like I don't, a lot of times when I do personal projects right now, they're usually rooted more so in like fashion and, uh, and in a, in a kind of creative space that I don't usually get to express myself on the work side, you know? Um, so that, those are the things that I choose to do on my own, uh, versus before when I wasn't getting hired to do any of the sports stuff, then my personal projects were more rooted in that space. But now that I get to do that as a means to uh, get hired, um, I usually just, I take it in the opposite direction now and focus on the things that maybe I'm not getting paid to do, uh, but would like to do more of. And that's what I choose to pursue in my free time. And so, I, I mean, I see you've got this zoomed out sort of macro vision of where you want things to go. And you're speaking to other industry professionals who you said are older than you, like Carlos, et cetera. But then I see this like macro execution. You're, you're pretty analytical about it. And um, that macro or sorry, the micro execution rather is, is these small shoots that add up to push you in that macro direction. Um, I think mm -hmm. you're, you know, during quarantine in particular, I've seen a lot of, people just posting old work um, and a lot of people just treading water, uh, you know, stress wise, which I totally understand. Um, mm -hmm. But I, 
you know, uh, an example of this micro macro mix is your virtual FaceTime shoots. Um, Where did that inspiration come from? And can you just explain Uh, that a little bit? I mean, I know we're on audio here, so can you just explain that to the listeners and then maybe, you know, that that's an example of something that led to an assignment, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it led to a few different ones. Um, because, okay. So like the, that came from basically just like being in the house, like for, I was, I went from basically just like jet setting all around the country and having this big, huge project that I was working on for EA sports where I was shooting all the covers for their, uh, 20 2021 games i went i was shooting all the covers for that was on my way to paris when the travel ban got announced and um things went from indefinitely paused to like for sure canceled um and me feeling like damn like my year kind of just got snatched away um it went from that to you know through the the different ways that i'm sure a lot of other people were feeling like stressed and and maybe a little bit of uh anxiousness and depression um from just not being able to move and uncertain about the future and all that stuff um and i kind of took that and was like man what can i do to just like break up this monotony and get myself excited again about you know something you know and so i basically hit up I start. I started to think to myself, like, man, I wonder if I can make a shoot work virtually through like FaceTime or whatever. Um, and basically, I mean, it's not super complicated. It's really just like video calling somebody on FaceTime and then having them use their computer or their phone at that point to you. They position it where you want them to position it, and then you direct them uh, through the phone or whatever it is that they're using. And you just take photos, you know, like on through the through the uh, FaceTime app, and if there's a shutter button inside of it, and you just hit it, and it'll send the photo to the Photos app, and then you could, you know, export them out and have JPEGs of all those shots that you took. So, um, and I and I and I was just inspired by wanting to still create something, still show uh, people that, like, you know, it was kind of like in a way an act of defiance almost like man i'm not gonna let this pandemic and this whole like idea that i'm stuck in a house and don't have access to things lights uh people or whatever stop me from being able to express myself creatively so uh i just hit up a couple of models that i knew and um asked them if they would be willing to be my test subjects and guinea pigs for this idea that i had and they said yes and then, you know, we jumped on the FaceTime and just went to work. And and you said during that time, like, I can't remember where it was quoted, but it might have been on a TV interview where you said that nothing can stop a creator from creating except for a lack of confidence and a fear of failure. Right. Can you talk about right. sort of that that belief and how that's, you know, that's instilled in you so much so that you have a tattoo on your arm that references it yeah so like people so the thing is is that um i think that what happens with a lot of people is that they uh have an idea they'll have a maybe even like what might be a good idea or whatever 
and then they they sort of like talk themselves out of it before they even get to do it you know um and so like that lack of confidence they usually it's a lack of confidence and like them being just afraid of like people not liking it or even just like the 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 idea that oh man what if this doesn't work you know that question looms over them so heavily that they end up just being paralyzed and not doing it at all and so like for me i was like man I could link with these people, these models, and like uh, I, this idea that I have with doing this virtual shoot, it could very well not work, or it could very well turn out to not be that good. And you know, um, but I didn't let that that stop me from at least trying it out and seeing. Uh, at the very least, at the very worst, I felt like, well, if it doesn't work, then I don't have to show anybody these terrible photos that I just tried to take. You know. Or at least I'll learn something, you know, um, because the the process of like discovering new ways or, you know, new processes for yourself does involve some amount of failure, you know. Uh, so like you're going to always have a- ideas that you're going to try to execute that aren't going to work the way you thought they were. Um, and that's that's kind of what that is, what that referenced and talked and alluded to. And I mean, it's like kind of that idea, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're right. You know, like that, that foundation inside of you on the front end ends up sort of dictating the outcome. And, and so then that led to work, right? With like the New York times or who did you do virtual shoots for? Yeah. So I did a, I did a virtual shoot for Adidas, um, where that, you know, those first couple of personal shoots led to a virtual shoot, uh, with them. And then, those three led to the New York Times hitting me up and asking me uh, to do a virtual shoot for them, which, um, which prior to that, I had never worked with the New York Times before. They were, you know, obviously a pillar of the photo community. It was uh, a company that I wanted to, you know, do some work for, but um, for whatever reason, you know, it just had never, it had never worked and never, uh, they had never reached out um, about that. And, you know, the, the virtual thing is what led them to ask me to do a shoot, you know? And then even then that led to them asking me to do another shoot, which happened only a week later, you know? So now, you know, I do have my name circulating and, um, and have generated work for a company that I wanted to do, uh, some stuff with prior to the pandemic that in a way the pandemic led to helping me make it happen. And so I don't think that like, you know, I don't want to confuse people either. Like, you know, that I don't think you're fearless. Like, do you still get butterflies before shoots? Like big shoots? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I still get butterflies. I still have, you know, sleepless nights <laughs> thinking about, you know, thinking through the details or thinking about, you know, what I'm going to say to the subject or thinking through like how a conversation might go or whatever or did I do that? Did I make the right decision about, you know, uh, the lighting or, you know, whatever the the treatment that I submitted or yeah, you know, I still get nervous, but you know, the difference is, is that you don't let the nervous, the nervousness or the fear of it all stop you from doing something, you know, I, I don't let it stop me, you know, and that's the difference. Like a lot of people let the fear of it sort of like, make them not act, you know? 
And I think, you know, what I was referencing, the tattoo on your arm, at, you know, the concept of leap, leap in the net will appear, you know, you recognize that you'll figure it out. And to some degree, you have to mm-hmm. let go and sort of embrace that fear and turn it into like focus. Is that right? Yeah. Embracing the fact that you might not have everything figured out, embracing the idea that, you know, there are going to be some hiccups along the way and some things that aren't going to be right, um, right away. Uh, but you have to course correct and always be tweaking and looking for the, the better way and then not being afraid to change directions and, you know, do it a different way. If the way that you are trying it, you discover it doesn't work, you know? And so just the most important part is leap is making leap though. You know, you can't just like, you're not going to get to, you're not going to get to play the game. If you are afraid to take a shot, like, you know, you're just going to be on the sideline. And that intuition specifically with like the pivot, like, Oh, we're just going to change scenes or this isn't working that comes from experience, right? And again, that goes back to you doing probably hundreds of unpaid test shoots um, to hone your skill set. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, when I give advice to people, that's mainly the thing that I'm telling them to do is um, I'm telling them to, to know that going into all these different things that they're working on, you don't have to show everybody everything. You know, you don't, that, that's what this game is. This game is not like the beauty of photography is that you only need to show somebody one frame. Like you can take a million bad frames, but they only, people only need to see the one good one, you know? So it's like honing your skills in to figure out what that one good one is, is actually more important than failing on the, you know, the million other bad ones, you know? And so do you, um, do you pre-visualize success as you're laying in bed there the night before? And, and if so, I mean, how do you sort of mentally prepare your mindset? Um, at this point, yeah. I mean, I, I do, uh, pre-visualize success, um, And I do that by way of always surrounding myself with imagery. Like, even to this day, I'm always sucking up a ton of, like, what I consider to be uh, good images and good uh, creative work, you know, Uh, whether it be – I collect it all digitally. I have a folder that I keep on um, on my computer called Cool Stuff Archive, and it's literally just, oh, I like this painting put it in there oh i like this living room you know this room this room set up and this furniture put it in there you know so like i'm always like building i'm always looking at stuff and my screensaver is all photography that i love you know so i'm constantly reminded and i feel like subconsciously sort of just like filling my brain up and filling my creative tank up with uh, the kind of things that I want to produce myself, you know, and so that when I do go on a shoot, I'm working, that muscle is already strengthened to the point where it's like muscle memory. I'm creating things in a way that I've subconsciously already put into my head, you know, to kind of like identify 
be able to identify it as good or not and sort of like be able to reverse engineer in a very fast way whether or not I like it and be able to also like um, just sort of like uh, almost understand like what the internal feelings of what taking a good image feels like. Like I know that I know when I have something special, when I'm like, oh, this is next level, you know, because I feel it on the inside and I and I feel that energy go through my body. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, that's the one, you know. Um, and so, like, you know, I just work on knowing, fine tuning, like identifying that that sort of like feeling and working on that intuition. And you think that that helps calm your nerves before a shoot? Yeah, yeah, for sure, because it it helps calm my nerves because it at this point I've know that I've done it so many times that I like what'll calm my nerves if I'm nervous is like you know you'll get there. You know, uh something'll happen and you you always going to get there. Like that's how I go into it now uh having that confidence of just being like, okay, I've done this before and I've been in this situation before. And so, like, I know that my, uh, excuse me, my reaction time is fast enough now that I'm going to get there eventually, you know, to somewhere where it feels good to me. And no matter what the situation is, it doesn't matter if I can't see the location. It doesn't matter if I don't know what kind of lighting is going to be available to me or if I'm going to be down to, you know, short, uh, you know, like, in COVID area of producing work where I got to, where they say, Marcus, we need you to produce this ESPN cover, but you need to do it with half of the people that you normally would do it with. You know, I'm put in that situation and I'm able to, after I calm down and kind of like take inventory of what's going on, I'm able to calm down and say, okay, Marcus, you're going to get there. You know, you got enough knowledge in your head that you'll comfortably figure out what's going to work in this situation. And so, and, and it, and it does, and it, it always, you know, kind of, you know, work, it works itself out. Are there other like little habits or hacks you have like beforehand, you know, physical or mental? I mean, do you like meditate or anything to try and deal with some of that, you know, that pressure knowing that it's a big budget campaign, clients on set, et cetera? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily meditate. Um, I think I just kind of just, um, in the lead up to any big job, I'm just making sure that, uh, my stress levels are low through like just chilling out around the house, you know, like making sure that I'm, I'm comfortable and where, whatever my, uh, living situation is like, you know, if I got to, if I'm going to a hotel or whatever, um, I used to not put up a fight to stay in specific hotels, but now I do because I think that that's a part of the, you know, of what you're talking about, like being mentally prepared. Um, I've noticed that if I'm comfortable with where I'm sleeping and comfortable with the area that I'm staying in and all that stuff, then it's just way easier for me to like get up the next day and perform and go out and create something, you know? So I definitely try to just have that happen. And, you know, it's usually good. good. That's usually good enough for me. You know, over the last 
whatever it is, handful of years, I guess five years or something, I've started to build in a day on the front end. Um, even if I have to pay for it out of pocket, if I'm going to mm-hmm. go like, for example, when you were going to go to Paris, um, yeah. to deal with the jet lag to ensure uh-huh. to ensure that I don't show up to the set wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's the same. It's like, like idea. It's, yeah. it's well worth paying for it. Yeah, definitely. You know, and if you can squeeze it out of your clients, even a first class ticket. <laughs> argue, argue for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one that's good. That's, you know, that's a good thing to argue for. Um, I, I do want to reference one of your shoots in particular as we're talking about like kind of high pressure and mental stress as well as um, the ability to know you're going to walk away with with something in the bag and strong imagery. It's the farewell campaign that you did uh, for Kobe's retirement. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. about that job and, and sort of, you know, that work in particular? Uh, yeah, I mean... I'll be honest, that was like a full circle moment because um, in a way, like I grew up playing basketball um, in Chicago. Like I'm talking about being nuts about basketball. Like that's all I cared about probably from age eight to like 15. Um, Like I wore jerseys every day and I played every day of the summer from, you know, 7.30, in the morning to like, you know, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. And so I, uh, me and a friend watched Kobe get drafted. Uh, you know, I remember watching the NBA draft at his, at his house. And then we watched the, uh, the all-star game at his house where Kobe won the dunk contest. And that year we also saw him on Moesha. So like, I just remember all these things. And I obviously as a kid, wasn't thinking to myself, like, man, I would just, I'm going to have a piece of, you know, have some type of like, you know, piece of like his legacy involved in my life. I wasn't thinking about that at all, you know? So like, it was kind of crazy to me that like, you know, you fast forward to, you know, 2000, I think I shot that in 2016 so you fast forward to 2016 and just the events that led to me actually doing that job. Um, it was just all a little surreal. Um, because what happened is, is that I, on the lead up to that, hadn't really worked with, um, Nike a whole bunch. You know, I was on, I was just now getting my feet under me to start working consistently in the business, uh, over that, you know, two to three year period prior to doing that job. Um, and it was a lot of like hodgepodge of clients, you know, that weren't Nike. Um, even though I had a, a heavy presence and doing a lot of work with basketball for myself. Um, so I ended up doing this one job for Nike that was small. And I met, you know, a producer uh, that then, you know, later, uh, about a year later, hit me up and was like, hey, like, I know that, you know, you don't do like second shooting or anything like that, but uh, we have this job for Nike basketball where I, I'm looking for somebody to do second shooting. I know that you love basketball 
And so I wanted to see if you would like do this favor for me and uh, come on a second as a second shooter for this basketball campaign. I was like, yeah, no doubt. You know, of course, uh, you know, I want if anything to just be on set with, you know, those bat those basketball players and, and stuff. And I'll, I'll do that. You know, so I jumped at that opportunity. I ended up shooting a bunch of stuff, you know, through being a quote unquote second shooter that went back to Nike basketball and they ended up just like really loving the stuff that I was doing. They, they kind of like thought that it was going to be their idea of it was that it was going to be more so like behind the scenes type images, you know, but then I delivered just like my own take on, uh, you know, even portraits and behind like moments that weren't being captured by the main photographer. And so when they saw what I was giving them, they were like that year, they basically were like, you're going to, we want you to shoot like this on everything. So I like, <laughs> I just like worked across categories on almost all projects, you know, that year for them doing that type of shooting. Uh, and so I was producing all this stuff and it gave me an opportunity to become really familiar and in sync with how they like to work and all the different creatives and stuff like that. And so when two, 2016 rolled around, I had just spent the whole year working with Nike through a lot of different avenues. And so when 2016 rolled around and they're doing Kobe's retirement campaign, I got the, I got the call that was like, yo, we want you to work on this campaign and we want you to shoot it. We're doing this huge commercial for it and we want you to do the steals and all of that stuff. And that, that trust and belief that I could, uh, turn in what they were looking for. I was able to build that resume for them through all, throughout the year prior. And it all came by way of me saying yes to an opportunity that wasn't necessarily what I wanted, but was, was just me thinking long-term about it, you know? Um, and so, you know, that was one of those moments when I took uh, the shot that end, that subsequently ended up being the one, the main image. They use a lot of different images, but there was one particular main image that they use uh, a lot. And it's the one of him with his back turned walking off the court. And that, that was one of those moments where I took that shot and was like, oh yeah, you know, that was, that was the one that gave me goosebumps when I look at the back of the camera and I realized like, I got that shot and I'm just like, I took that photo, you know, and that, and I knew at that moment that it was going to be one of those like iconic photos that was gonna, you know, I was going to see, you know, for a long time after that. And, you know, it is, that's, you know, obviously what happened after that with him passing away, it kind of rekindled, uh, all, all things Kobe, but, um, but yeah, that, that is one of those, uh, kind of tempo, tip-toe moments for me uh seeing how basketball and me getting into photography kind of just like collided with each other to create that moment and it also seems like in that moment you know you shifted from being uh like quote like hired photographer into somebody who documented a moment in time and now i would argue that like that image in particular of him walking away, his fans are reaching out to him, the lights are dim, his head's slightly down. That is an iconic image. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about like, and we and we can move on afterwards, but can you talk a little bit more about 
the importance of that image and that work in particular and, and how it's now sort of in the Rolodex of time um, as a very special moment in time? Yeah, uh, I mean, so like my my idea as a photographer was always like, you know, I always had these images. I have these images that I keep around and I have prints of too from Walter Eo to Muhammad Ali, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, and that was my goal. I was like, man, I want an image like that. You know, I want, a, I want an image that when people think of this person, that's one of the ones that they are going to think of or when they see that shot, you know, and they find out that I'm the person that did it, just that alone is going to be able to speak for itself in terms of like what I do um, and what I kind of like bring to the table. And I feel like that shot has done that, you know, for me, you know, when people find out like, Oh, you're the one that shoot, you know, that shot that it feels good, you know, that they have reference to what that image is already. And, and I mean, I can go on, I'm sure I could push for like another hour. I know we've got a hard out here. Um, but I wanted to pivot a little bit. Um, as we wrap up, I've started as of last episode, I've started asking every guest, um, two questions at the end. The first one is what is, what is one physical goal that you have for yourself over the next year? A physical goal. When you mean when you say physical goal, you mean like, what do you mean by that? Like Murph or <laughs> like a marathon oh, okay. or you know what I mean. One physical goal, and then the second question is one one mental goal. Uh, but what is the one physical okay. goal you have over the next year? Um, physical goal. I mean, you you brought up the Murph thing. And that, that probably is one for me because I had saw that. I just, I didn't, I never even knew what that was until like a couple months ago. And a friend, because a friend of mine had did it. So I would say, and when I saw him do it, I was like, man, I think that would be cool if I could say that I did that. You know, so that, that definitely is a physical goal for me. Um, and, and so that, that's goal, like a, I, that's a workout, right? That's a CrossFit workout. It's like a hundred pull-ups, yeah, it's a hundred push-ups. It's a hundred. No, it's a hundred. It's I forget the numbers. It's two hundred pull-ups or something like that. It's a hundred push-ups, two hundred pull-ups, three hundred squats, and then it's a mile run on the front and a mile run on the back. I think that's the whole thing. <laughs> it sounds horrible. <laughs> it is. I. It definitely. It's. It is horrible. It's got to be. No, like it's, it's got to be horrible. It's got to be. I don't care how you break it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a mental goal. I had went into the the year, uh, kind of figuring, feeling like a mental goal for myself would be, like, just to be more accepting of like different people's choices and ideas, um, and to try to be more understanding and uh, less judgmental. Because uh, I feel like that's kind of like where we, as a people, end up making a mistake um, in like thinking that we know, uh, but not being sensitive to the to the idea that other people might have other ideas for their own lives. Um, and and I and so I worked on just trying to be more accepting of the fact that not everybody want to do things the way that I want to do it. You know, 
or not everybody has the idea that they want to do something on a level that I think that even I may think for themselves that they could do it. You know, I kind of just accept, accept that now, um, or, or try to, you know, um, and try to listen a little bit more. Yet, yet mix that in with your continued tireless work ethic for yourself and the discipline that you have to get to where you want to go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right, man. Well, I know we've got a heart out here, so I'll let you go so you can hop on your next call. Hopefully it's a client call or something that'll bring in some business. Um, yep. but let's check back in in a couple months. We'll, uh, we'll go on rants about other things. I mean, the political climate alone and what's going on in the nation, the pandemic, there's a lot to talk about. And, uh, you got to keep us updated if you do Murph. Have your wife take some photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It'll probably be me laying on the ground. Exactly, in a pool of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, all right, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it, Marcus. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you, man. Peace. Bye. Well, come on, podcast.